So Alila stood on the beach, holding her tiny infant son close to her heart. And tears welled up in her eyes as she began uh, slowly walking toward the river's edge. She, she stepped into the water, silently making her way about waist deep, when the water gently uh, lapped at the baby's feet. And she stood there for a long time, holding the child tightly as she stared out across the river. And then all of a sudden, in one quick movement, she threw the six-month-old baby to her death. And a native missionary in India came upon Alila that day as she was kneeling in the sand, just crying uncontrollably. And with compassion, he knelt down next to her and he asked her, what was wrong? What, what is making you grieve? And through her sobs, she told him, the problems in my home are too many. My sins are too heavy on my heart. And so I offered the best I had to the goddess Genghis, my firstborn son. And the missionary heart just ached for the desperate woman. And as she wept, he gently began to tell her of Jesus' love. And that through him and through Jesus that her sins could be forgiven and that she didn't have to make sacrifices anymore, that the ultimate sacrifice had been made through Jesus Christ on the cross. And she looked at him strangely and said, I've never heard that before. And she replied through her tears, why couldn't you have come 30 minutes earlier? Because if you did, my child would not have had to die. Missions is central to God's heart. Missions is central to God's heart, and it is urgent to God's heart because people everywhere are desperate to hear the message of who Jesus is, and we can't be too late. Let me tell you another story. Missions is not one service a year that we get somebody strange to come in and with a weird head covering and tell you stories about their country. Missions is not uh, for people who just want to travel to other countries for the scenery. Missions aligns with the heart of God. And if our hearts are aligned with God, which is what we've been working through these past several weeks, then we will have a heart for missions. And so Having a heart for missions is not just something we choose as a church because it's a goal or an initiative or, or something that good churches do. It's because the heart of God beats to tell the whole world, every single person in every single corner of the earth, that is love for them. And because it aligns with God's heart, it needs to align with ours. In November 1964, um, anarchy broke out in the Belgian Congo. And an Assemblies of God missionary named J.W. Tucker uh, knew he was at risk. I think we have a picture of him here. But he stayed where God had placed him. Even though he knew he was at risk, he stayed where God had placed him. And one day, a mob attacked and killed him with sticks and clubs and broken bottles and, and fists. And they took his body and they threw him in the back of a truck and they drove a good distance. And then they tossed him into um, the Bomaconde River where there were crocodiles. And one could only assume what would happen next. 
Tucker had risked everything, yet he seemingly had nothing to show for it. He, he, he was in the country for such a short time before anarchy broke out that he really didn't have established a ton of churches or, or orphanages or anything like that. He just went where God told him, and then he got killed pretty quickly into his missionary assignment. But 30 years later, uh, a close friend of his was in the country, and the Bomokande River flows through the middle of, a, of the Mangbito tribe. And these are people who were virtually without the gospel. And during the time of, of civil war, the Mangbito king became distressed with the violence, and he appealed to the central government to help. And so he, he called the central government. He says, we need help. You need to send us something. And so the central government responded by sending uh, a man called the brigadier. And this man was a well-known policeman of strong stature and reputation, and he was sent to this tribe to bring order to the chaos. And J.W. Tucker had won this brigadier to the Lord just two months before he got thrown into the river. And so the brigadier came to the Mangbitos, and he was determined to reach them with the gospel. But being a relatively new Christian, uh, he did his best to witness, but he had very little response. People were not responding to him the way that he, he wanted to, and, and not many were catching on to the gospel, and he did, his best, he did his best to witness. But one day, he heard um, the Mangbito people talking about this tradition, and this tradition had been a long time in their, uh, in, in their tribe, and it was this, if the blood of any man flows in the Bomokande River, you must listen to his message. And this was in the Mangbito's generation for so many years that they believed it wholeheartedly. And when the brigadier heard that, he called for the king, he called for the village elders, he gathered them in full assembly, and he said to them, some time ago, a man was killed and his body was thrown into your river. And the crocodiles in that river ate him and his blood flowed in your river. But before he died, he left for me a message. And the message he went on to share that God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died, came to the world to save people who were sinners. And he died for the sins of the world. And he died for my sins. And he re I received this message and it changed my life. And you, it should change your life too because there's a God that loves you so desperately. And he began to share that with such conviction. And as the brigadier preached, the spirit of God descended and people began to fall on their knees and cry out to the Lord. And many of them in that moment were converted to the hope of the gospel. And since that day, thousands of Mangbitos have come to Christ and dozens of Assemblies of God churches have opened in that region as a result of the message of the man whose blood flowed in the river. He had thought he didn't do much, but because of his obedience and sacrifice and because his heart aligned with the heart of God, God used his story in a way that he could probably not reach all those people himself if he was even alive but God used that story. Missions is central to God's heart. And as we work this month to align our hearts of God, we really need to tune in to God's heartbeat for the world. So I want to look at an Old Testament passage this morning that I believe clearly displays God's heart for all men. And we find it in 2 Samuel 9. So kind of leading up to it, uh, David was a great king of the Old Testament. You've probably heard of David. Uh, but David's days weren't always full of thrones and riches. In fact, David had pretty humble beginnings. 
Um, King Saul, the, the guy before David, the king before David, um, had it out for him. Saul would chase him through the countryside, trying to kill him, do all kinds of strange things, trying to get David out of power. But uh, David befriended Saul's son, Jonathan. And they weren't just buddies or hang out once in a while. They were what the scripture would call covenant friends. They, they, were, they had deep respect for each other. In fact, Jonathan, if you read the scripture, literally saved David's life on many occasions. Jonathan would go and say, my dad's going to be looking for you in this region. Don't go there. And he would virtually betray his dad to be faithful to his friend. So in 1 Samuel 20, as we kind of walk through their story, it tells of one of the many conversations that David and Jonathan had. And in my mind's eye, I can imagine this conversation probably happened um, in a grassy field behind a rock as they were kind of looking out for the next enemy, talking in hushed whispers. And then Jonathan, uh, knowing that David would someday be king, says to him, do not ever cut off your kindness to my family. Promise me, when you're big and you're famous and, and you're driving the Cadillac, Cadillacs aren't even cool, I don't know why I said that, but when you're driving that rich car, don't forget about me. Don't forget about my family. Even if I'm not here, don't forget about me. Don't forget about my family. Remember the dirt I have my, hand, my hands on right now. Remember this moment. And I could picture David saying persistently, of course, I could never forget what you've done for me. I, I could never forget it. You did so much for me. And so years pass, and Saul's dead, Jonathan's dead, and David finds himself king as, just as God said it would be. And he remembers his request from his dear friend who asked him years ago. And that takes us to 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 13. I'd like to read this, so if you can follow along on the screen, it says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba, your servant, he replied. And the king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Well, where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makur, son of Amamil in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makur, son of Amamil. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay honor. Uh, he bowed down to pay honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Can you imagine the day that Mephibosheth got the word that David was looking for him? He was probably doing normal business, mundane day of an ordinary week. In fact, the scripture says he was living in someone else's house, so he obviously didn't own much. He didn't have a lot to offer. And the scripture says that uh, when he hears the king wants to talk to him, he, he knows that, that, he wonders, he wonders what's happening. In fact, I, I can imagine maybe he's thinking, um, what did I do wrong? Did I pay the electric bill this month? You know, what, did I, what, what, am I in trouble? Because if the king wants to see you, you're usually in trouble, something's wrong, you need to, to account for something that happened. And the scripture also says he was crippled. I'm sure that he, he has an insecurity about his crippled feet, probably overwhelmed him. And so I find it so interesting that when um, Mephibosheth came into David's presence, David instantly calls him by name. 
And kings didn't call people by name then. Kings didn't know people's names. They didn't have to. They would just say servant or hey you. You know, they, they didn't have to know those people's names. They didn't have to honor them. And so he yells his name, Mephibosheth, as if like, I've been looking for you. Oh my goodness, I love you. You are Jonathan's son. I'm so excited to see you come here. Probably let out his hand for a bear hug. Mephibosheth's going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I'm in the presence of a king. And then David explains, your life used to be like this. You were, you were eating Mows with extra guac every Sunday for lunch. But today, you get prime rib and mashed potatoes. Everything about your life is different. Everything about your life has changed in this minute. And it's not because you have done anything at all. It's because I have sought to find you and to pour my kindness out on you. And I have come to restore the broken, hurting places in your life. And I have come to invite you to feast at my table. And the scripture just calls out that Jesus is like David. Because when Jesus comes to us, he calls us by name. He calls us by name with this welcoming face. And he says, I've been looking for you. And here you are, and I call you by name, because in this moment, everything about your life can change. Because you don't have to earn it, and it doesn't have anything to do with your feelings. It has everything to do with the fact that I've been looking for you, and because of what my father did and the covenant I've made with him, you now are the beneficiary of it. And before I even go any further today, if you're here and you, you have never accepted that invitation I want you to know that God is extending it today with no strings attached. That that story that, that we just read about David going to find Mephibosheth it is exactly what God wants us to understand, that Jesus is out to, to reach each of us because of what the Father did. And all you have to do is pray and ask Jesus to come into your life and come into the broken, hurting places of your life and he will. And, and you, will, you will enjoy salvation and eternal life with him. And there'll be things you'll have to work on. But that initial connection, that initial salvation point has nothing to do with you feeling worthy. In fact, you don't have to feel worthy to accept God's grace because it has nothing to do with your feelings. So if you came here today and you thought, if anybody knew what I did this week, they wouldn't even let me sit in this chair. That shame and that guilt is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, I saved this chair for you <laughs> because I call you by name and I'm so thankful you're here to be in my presence because all I've wanted to do was, was commune with you and be with you because I love you so much. David made a covenant with a promise to Jonathan many years before and Mephibosheth is the beneficiary of that covenant. Mephibosheth did nothing to earn those steak and potatoes. All he was was in the lineage of his father. God's word is full of covenants for our lives. Healing, deliverance, salvation, wholeness, fulfillment. I'm so thankful what Pastor John shared because that's just exactly what the word is telling us today, that these are available because of the covenant that God has made with Jesus. And we receive God's promises by the covenant and we activate the blessings of God through our faith in the covenant. The promises are already made. 
The ways are already made, but our faith is what activates the blessing. And just as Mephibosheth was the beneficiary of a previous covenant, so we are the recipients of the covenant between Jesus and God. And you may have read this in the scripture. It says in many places that we're heirs of the covenant. We're heirs of the covenant. We just get it because of Jesus and God. Really nothing that we do. And God says via this covenant, I loved you while you were yet a sinner. Come to me with your crippled feet and your messed up issues and all your insecurities and everything you feel like you can't tell me. And I've made a covenant with you. And as long as you receive that, that is, that is what's going to push us forward. And God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. Some of you might say, that's just not fair. You're right. God's grace is not fair. And thank you, Jesus, that we do not get what we deserve. And this covenant, why I'm talking about this today, this reckless grace, this great hope that I'm talking about is the very thing that makes missions central to God's heart because God wants everyone in every far corner of the world, on every desolate island, in every cave and valley, and every metropolitan city, and every rural farm ranch to know that they are a beneficiary of the covenant that's already been done between Jesus and God. And so God asks us in this scripture, he says to David, show my people your kindness. And in this scripture, God asks us, he commissions us to show kindness to his family. And just as Jonathan asked David in 1 Samuel, He wants us to extend grace and extend invitation because how will people know about the God's promises if we don't tell them? And how can we tell them if we don't show them kindness? Missions is central to God's heart and the way God intended the message of his covenant is to spread through your mouth and your hands and your feet and your eyes and your actions. That is God's plan to spread the message of his covenant. So that means in your school, in your workplace, in your family, and then in a broader stroke, in this city, in this country, in this entire world, we must assume the position of David. And we must remember the faithfulness of the Lord and ask, God, is there anyone left whom we can show kindness to for your sake? Because God has been so kind to us. And out of the overflow, we want to show kindness on behalf of God. Is there anyone in this church today that would agree that God has showed kindness to you? That God has been good to you. That God has given you more than you deserve. That God has rescued you from a situation that you never thought you could get out of. That God has put you in a place that you didn't earn that you have beautiful children that you have no idea why they're so well behaved because you're just, (laughs) you're just doing your best. Oh God, is there anyone left that we can show kindness to for your sake? Because God, you have shown kindness to us. And you know what? God answers. God answers, yes, 
Yes, there are billions of people on this planet that are hurt and broken and searching and they've been abused and neglected and taken advantage of and lied to and deceived and they think that they have to sacrifice uh, their their own children to to receive the forgiveness that I offer for free and and they fill their lives with empty promises and, and shallow relationships and God says, go, don't sit there anymore. Don't do anything. If you want to honor the kindness that I've given to you, then go. That's what he says, go, go, go. And that is what he's asking us to do. And if we are part of God's family and we are called to serve him, then one of the biggest, most important tasks is to extend the invitation to everyone that doesn't know Jesus. And so if we love them because of the covenant God made with us, We must keep pursuing the people God loves until they understand, and we must keep inviting and keep extending the invitation. So let me ask you this before you let yourself off the hook because you're in America and not in some foreign country. Who is God asking you to extend the invitation to? Who have you given up on? Who did you ask a few times and they said no? And so you, there, you label them uninterested and never ask again. Who this week do you need to invite to church? When's the last time you've thought about that? When's the last time you've thought about the people that are surrounding you and if they understand the covenant that God did for them the way that Jesus made for them. Mephibosheth teaches us that we have to let the grace we have received spill over intentionally to the lives of others. And so we won't always be able to go to the jungle of Africa or the streets of Russia or the shores of Australia. But when you can't go and extend the invitation yourself personally, We are still called to be part of the mandate. If we can't go, we can give and we can pray. And aligning with the fullness of the heart of God will require us to pray fervently for lost people and the missionaries that we are trying, that are trying to get to them before it's too late. How many more people will we let Die not understanding the gospel because we are moving along pokey slow like we have all the time in the world. Jesus says with a sense of urgency that missionaries are carrying the word of God to people who may have never heard it. And time is ticking. And prayer is the power that wields the weapon of the word. And so from scripture, we've gotten a glimpse of what God's great purpose is for the world. God wants to fill the world with his glory by rooting out uh, sin and unbelief, rooting that out of his kingdom, and filling it with white-hot worshipers from every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. That's what his purpose is for the world. So what is the place of prayer in that purpose? Well, the, the, the proclamation of the gospel in word and in deed is the work of missions, but prayer is the power that wields the weapon of the word. Prayer is the thing that directs the word. Prayer is the thing that allows the word to have the power, and the word is the weapon by which the nations will be brought to faith and obedience. 
And therefore, prayer is so key because missions can't exist without it. The preaching of the word is the only thing that will accomplish the global purpose of all being able to hear. And the success of the preaching of the word hangs on prayer. The two cannot exist outside of one another and have the same impact and have the same power. And so, when you pray for a missionary, you literally join with them to spread the gospel into their territory. You may never set foot in that nation. You may not even be able to pronounce that nation or pick it out of a map. I have trouble with Wisconsin sometimes, all right? But when you pray for that missionary, you are releasing the kingdom of God. You are pulling in. Last, last week or two weeks ago, we prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done. You release God's kingdom into those nations and into those places, and you release those things, and you become part of that journey. You become part of that mandate. And not just people with, without faces or names or people that you see on bulletin boards of, uh, of you know, missions things, but these are mothers and daughters and fathers and sons and political leaders and business professionals and teachers and engineers and hurt and lonely and broken and tired people, all of which God knows their name and everything about them. And as soon as they hear the gospel message, he's going to cry out just like David did, Mephibosheth. I've been waiting for you. And because someone prayed, you are here. And I can extend to you the covenant that I have been waiting to show you the hope and the rescue. So are we team Jesus? Are we Christians who proclaim that we understand his covenant and his sacrifice? And as we talked about a few weeks ago, I believe God is asking us, are we in or are we out? Because if we are in, then we cannot spend our entire lives thinking and praying about our own needs, our own successes, our own accomplishments, our own lives, because missions is central to God's heart. In Acts 13 and 14, um, it communicates one of the most pivotal stories in all of missions history. And um, this this, these chapters relay um, the sending of the first local missionaries by their church. Uh, the scripture um, records it. They're going into, um, into the world and they're sending them out. And it's Paul and Barnabas. And they were commissioned for this particular task at a worship service, uh, complete with singing and praying and fasting and the laying on of hands, often like we do. And um, they were sent out into the world. And I want to read a quote to you from John Piper he says in Acts, uh, in Acts 13 and 14, this moment of prayer and fasting resulted in a missions movement that would make Christianity the dominant religion of the Roman Empire within two and a half centuries and would yield 1.3 billion adherents of the Christian religion today with a Christian witness in virtually every country of the world. That's what happened from that church when they commissioned Paul and Barnabas. And people gathered in a room in Antioch, much like we're doing this morning, and they were not all the same, but they found themselves agreeing on a common purpose. They were united by the gospel, they were enthralled in the worship of God, and they were intensely focused on the mission of God. Now, I know that we are not all the same here today, that, that there are many things that are different about each of us, but I do believe that we are all united by the gospel, the covenant of God to us, which we just talked about. I can sense that we are all enthralled in the worship of God as we just experienced. And I am asking you this morning, will you focus on the mission of God with me? Will you focus on the mission 
Will you ask the Lord who is left for us to show kindness to? And will you align your heart with God's and recognize his people all over the world are hurting and broken, and so he is concerned? And I believe in this moment of unity in the scripture that the Spirit called out two men to be sent out, and the church responded with immediate obedience. And that synergy, the call of the Spirit and the prayerful response of the church, resulted in a supernatural spread of the gospel that continues today that we can jump in and be a part of. That if we align our hearts with the mission of God, that we can be a part of this same missions movement that started all of those years ago in that small church in Antioch. And so here's what we're going to do today to put this into practice. Um, Judy and Audrey are going to come up and take their places. And for these last few minutes that we have together, um, we're going to put biblical teaching into practice. We're going to pray for the missionaries that our church supports. Now, if you know other missionaries personally, please feel free to pray for them. Or if you uh, even just have a country on your heart, or, you know, you can add to this. But I wanted to give you some particular prayer points. And these are the missionaries that we support. You may have gotten a, a handout on your way in also. And we're going to just take some time to literally pray for these people because we know as we're praying, the kingdom is being released, that we are empowering them with prayer and they have the word in the prayer that they are being able to move this covenant of God that we believe to, to go forward into these places. Now, you might want to write some of these down. I'm going to give you some ways um, to pray for them. Taking notes is really spiritual, so... Um, all of these prayers come out of Acts 13 and 14, which is when Paul and Barnabas were uh, sent out. And so um, we talked a few weeks ago about praying prayer from scriptures. And what we know is when we pray prayer from scriptures, it's already the words of God. So it already aligns with God's heart. So it's pretty significant and pretty powerful because we're already praying the words of God. So we're going to pray the words of God out of Acts 13 and 14. So the first thing you can pray for some of these missionaries in a moment is that they would be confident in God's word. Pray that they would be filled with God's spirit. Pray for their victory in spiritual warfare. Pray for their success in gospel witness. Pray for peace with other believers. Pray for favor with other believers. Pray that the gospel will be clear through them. Pray that God will open hearts around them. Pray for their joy in the midst of suffering. Pray for the kindness in the midst of slander. Pray for supernatural power to accompany them. Pray for Christ-like humility to characterize them. Pray for their patience. Pray for their perseverance. Pray that God would use them to make disciples and pray that God would use them to multiply churches. And so, um, would you stand? The pictures uh, and the names of the missionaries are going to be shown on the screen. There's also a handout that maybe you got on the way in if you would rather use that. I want to remind you, too, today we are specifically talking about praying. But as we talked about it, if you can't go, you can always give and any Sunday that you want to give that you come here, uh, if you just mark your envelope missions or choose that option online, that goes right into our missions account, which supports these, these friends. So that, that can happen any Sunday. And we'll talk about giving it more extensively actually next month as we have another series on it. But today we're going to focus on praying for the missionaries. So in just a moment, uh, Judy and Audrey are going to play a, just a beautiful um, special music for us. And 
I will close the service after we pray, but please uh, draw your attentions to the screen and pray for these missionaries. Let's really do this together as a church. You can pray out loud. You can pray silently. You can pray with someone near you, whatever you want, but let's do this. Let's biblically practice what God is asking us to do. You guys can begin. And so, Jesus, we pray for these missionaries. 
God, we pray that the gospel will be clear through them. We pray that you will open hearts around them. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do something uh, in, in five seconds that would take us five years to do. God, that you would open doors, that you would show them ways that they can see uh, what you're, where you're working and join in with you and become partners in the gospel with you. God, we pray for Christ-like humility to characterize them. We pray for supernatural power to accompany them. We pray for patience. We pray for perseverance. And we pray, Father God, that you would use them to make disciples. Lord, we are trusting you. We want to be part of this mandate, God. And we're asking, Father, that you would move in places that they could see this deep love that you have for them. And Lord, in turn, we could understand the deep love that you have for us. God, I pray for each of us in this room that we will not forget that you have commissioned us to invite and extend this invitation of grace to others. I pray, Holy Spirit, that it would not be able to leave our minds this week. God, that as we go about our natural days, Lord, that we would even just remember these moments where, God, you're asking us, who have you invited? Who have you extended the invitation to, God? Who, who have we given up on, Lord, that you have never given up on? God, who is it, Father, that you want to illuminate to us to share the message of the greatest hope of all time? God, your reckless grace. Lord God, the thing that draws us close to you despite any of our mess-ups and any of our insecurities. Lord, we're trusting you and we want to scream it from the rooftops because we believe so much that you have shown kindness to us and we just want to show that kindness to others. And so God, it is in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.